Welcome to The Comeback. I'm your host, Kyle Michael Miller. During this episode, we're talking with Carol Matika, a mother of four fighting stage four colon cancer. We'll tell you how a living liver transplant played a major role in her care. Also joining us is liver transplant surgeon, Dr. Cristiano Quintini. But first, here's Carol in her own words. My name is Carol Matika. I'm 44 years old and I live in Northwest Ohio. In 2016, I went to the hospital with shoulder pain. They ran some tests and I expected to be treated for muscle strains. But I was shocked when the doctor told me I had stage four colorectal cancer. I came to Cleveland and was treated with a variety of treatments and was doing well for two years. And then my liver began to fail. A liver transplant was my best option. Eight months after the failure, I received a living donor transplant from a friend at church. Today, I'm feeling fantastic and look forward to abundant life with my family. Carol, Dr. Quintini, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes. Carol, you have been on quite a wild ride the past couple of years. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. I, um, I'm feeling great. I'm back to doing all the things that I used to do before all of this started. And so, yeah, I, I feel fantastic. Just got back from California, as a matter of fact. So That's great. So we're going to dive into your medical journey a little sure. bit. A few years ago, back in 2016, you were healthy, you were active, mm-hmm. you had just had a 17-mile hike and then you started experiencing pain in your back and shoulder. Did you have any idea how serious your condition was? No, so I had no symptoms whatsoever. I was asymptomatic and I felt like I had fallen in a, you know, walking on uneven surfaces. I felt like I must have stumbled and not noticed. And um, I'm not usually one to rush off to the doctor. I went to the emergency room a week later and thought that I had pulled a muscle or done something in my shoulder and found out that it wasn't in fact that, but it led to discovering that it was a much more critical situation that I was in. And what was your diagnosis? So I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer that had metastasized to the liver. So when you heard those words come out of the doctor's mouth, what was your first reaction? How do you respond to something like that? So the first reaction was probably fear. I'm a human being. And so of course, fear of the unknown was primarily the first, I think the initial feeling that I felt. But then as things progressed and as I was put into the hands of amazing physicians and human beings like Dr. Quintini and and his team and the Cleveland Clinic, I realized that my fear was unrealized. I could take my fear and turn it into something very positive. I've always felt comfort in knowing that they would take care of me regardless of what happened, they would see me through. Dr. Quintini, you were one of the many physicians that helped Carol get better. It seemed like her diagnosis came out of nowhere. She was really active and healthy and young. Is it odd for somebody like her to face something so serious? It is in a way. Uh, On the other hand, we know that colon cancer, particularly aggressive forms of colon cancer, are becoming more and more prevalent, particularly in the young population. Something that is catching the attention of a lot of doctors and scientists to try to understand why. And obviously, because of the Cleveland Clinic, we see a lot of these very young patients presenting with very advanced disease. So in general, it's not very common, but this is something that we see a lot in our practice. And can you walk us through Carol's initial treatment plan? So Carol presented to us at very advanced stage colon cancer. As uh, Carol mentioned, it was stage four. There are different type of stage four. The moment you develop spread, that's by definition stage four. And spread can mean many different things. And it can be a small little nodule in your liver. It could be uh, different sizes. And Carol presented to us with uh, what I would uh, define as very 
advanced metastasis to the liver to the point where when she presented to us, there wasn't much we could offer to her in terms of surgery. And surgery is the mainstay of treatment in metastatic colon cancer along with chemotherapy. It's a really a treatment plan that includes oncologists, radiologists, and surgeons and colorectal surgeons. They all work together to time the treatment and help each other's treatment. But clearly when she presented to us, the situation was quite, quite desperate. Again, it's not something that we never see. We see this quite often. And because of the effectiveness of modern chemotherapy, I knew that there was a a lot of hope because of the progress made in the past 10-15 years with chemotherapy. It's an excellent partner to surgery, so first thing we did is to check with our colleagues oncologists to see if there was anything they could do to help shrink this tumor in the liver and obviously help the colon cancer as well. Carol, when you woke up from surgery, your family asked you a certain question. <laughs> they wanted to make sure you were okay. Can you take us back to that day and what did they ask you when you woke up? Sure. So I think it was the nurse that first asked me what day it was. And I think I told her what day it was. And she wanted to make sure that I knew where I was. And she asked me who the president was. And I think I told her who the president was. And I said, oh, oh, but wait, I can do way more than that. I can tell you every president in order. And I did <laughs> right well, after I woke up from anesthesia. So, I, so. Dr. Quintini, shouldn't we test her knowledge today? Yes. I'm not sure I could uh, prove her wrong, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a list with me. So I think, Carol, okay. rattle them off for Are us. Are you ready? Let's see. All right. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Quincy, Adams, Jackson, Van Buren, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Obama, Bush, Trump. Did I get it? You forgot one. Who did I forget? Clinton. Clinton. Yeah. Oh, well. oh. Sorry. Okay, 43 out of 44. That's pretty good. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I did. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mr. Clinton. <laughs> Carol, you don't seem like somebody who would want to stay in the hospital very long. Just what? <laughs> based on <laughs> on your lifestyle, your energy. Sure. How was your recovery process? It's been good. I remember one of the surgeries. I woke up and he was there and he said, heal quickly and no more medicine because you need to get out of the hospital. And so I think the Cleveland Clinic is really great about formatting a plan right away to expedite patients, you know, release as long as they're doing well. I and mean, I was always of that mindset to get out of here faster than not get out of here, probably sometimes to my detriment because I really wanted to get home. I was probably a little bit more expeditious than getting out of here. I think, wouldn't you say? I I would say actually you're one of those patients that always make doctor look good because after three, four days after a major operation, yeah. they're walking around, moving around, doing things. And I, I think you're right, Carol. I think the attitude is what makes a huge difference in the recovery process. Something magical about attitude where you have these major operations and even the pain at times is significantly affected by your outlook, your mm -hmm. energy level and your spirit for sure. And Dr. Quintini was a catalyst in helping me in some of the times when I did go to those dark places and felt down. And Cleveland Clinic has a lot of opportunities there as well. They're there to help you through those times too. And it was because of people like this guy and my family and the Lord that I was able to rise up, even on those dark days, having a positive attitude. So Carol, by January of 2017, you were cancer-free, but later that year you started experiencing a lot of other health issues. You didn't feel like yourself. 
What was going on that year? I was weak, tired, and I think I just went into basic liver failure. Dr. Quintini, is that something that's normal for somebody who went through the different treatments that Carol did back in 2016? So one of the things we did with Carol is to use the strongest treatment we had available at every single stage of our care. And one of the side effects of all the medications and all the treatment options that we use in cases like Carol's is that the liver can ultimately suffer and the cancer gets treated, the cancerous cells die, normal liver cells die too at some point and we know that that's one of the potential side effects of what we do and that's pretty much in a nutshell what happened to Carl's treatment we used that were very effective in treating the cancer but at the same time put her liver over the edge and we knew that that was a possibility and yep. uh, and we had a backup plan and that's i think one of the nice uh, thing about the program we were in is is that it allows us uh, to really use very strong and very powerful treatment options and technologies and knowing that if things don't go as we all hope there's always a safety net and, and in, in her case safety net was the possibility of doing a liver transplant and that's because Carol was a perfect candidate for this new protocol where transplantation is used for people who have advanced colon cancer. What can you tell us about this new protocol? So liver transplantation has been recently introduced into the field of metastatic colon cancer. The group in Norway has pioneered this field and essentially they discovered in a small transplant population that transplanting livers of patients with metastatic colon cancer prolonged significantly the life of these patients and therefore was a potentially viable option. So several places around the world started to implement this protocol. There are not many places and the Cleveland Clinic is one of those. Essentially, transplanting patients with colorectal metastatic cancer is based on the fact that uh, treatment options sometimes reach uh, the point where the liver is damaged and particularly chemotherapy is a very damaging treatment for the liver. And the idea is to replace the liver whenever the chemotherapy has caused the tremendous damage to the liver or when the cancer is not removable with a conventional surgery. So in those instances, liver transplantation can be an option in, in selected patients and in selected centers. Clearly, the field is much more complex and there are many more criteria that have to be fulfilled. But essentially, we are replacing a liver that is diseased with either cancer or a disease because of the consequences of chemotherapy, and we're replacing it with a new one. There's a chance that the cancer obviously will come back after the transplant, and that's why we monitor the patients very closely. But there are some promising results that even in those patients where the cancer come back, there can be a significant prolongation of life, and chemotherapy options changes, uh, and you can have new treatments. And to some extent, this could be a very valuable bridging options for many patients. Yeah. Carol, when you found out that you had to have a liver <laughs> transplant, were you, were you still positive? Were you disappointed? Or were you just ready to go and tackle the next obstacle? I trusted him completely. Dr. Quintini has never let me down, and I even make him pinky swear. He's always embarrassed. Oh, here we go. But that's, again, that's part of Cleveland. You know, you feel like you actually are a human being here. It, besides these being amazing physicians, again, it goes back to these are amazing human beings who care about you. I've always felt that way. But no, um, I trusted. I always felt like a trust. The minute he walked in, the first time we met, I felt confident. And I think that that's what you need in your physicians. I always felt confident that he knew what to do. And he always said, 
if this doesn't work, I always have a backup. I always have something else. And so I knew that with him saying that, he was always thinking ahead. He wasn't just sitting on this one option. He was always advanced in his thinking. And so when he said liver transplant, oh, certainly it's, it's scary, but what were my other options? And so again, it goes back to my faith and trusting in Dr. Quintini. Mm-hmm. So. so then you began a grassroots campaign to find a donor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I asked Dr. Quintini if I should put it on Facebook garage sale that I was, you know, looking for. <laughs> I don't think he was too keen on that. That was not a good option. That was not a good option, yeah. We did, yeah. We started a grassroots campaign, and I'm the youth director at my church, and so my pastor had asked if it would be all right to put something in the church bulletin regarding the, the need. I live in a very small community, um, 8,000 people, and so most people, when you go through a, a tragic event, know what's going on and are keenly aware of your whole life story. <laughs> and so Jason, that's when Jason came forward and and um, offered to donate a portion of his liver to me. Did you think that putting something in the church bulletin was mm-hmm. going to lead to finding your donor? I didn't know. I prayed about it a lot that God would just guide and allow it to happen. And I, I had resolved myself to the point that I knew if my purpose was finished here, I wouldn't be provided it and that God had some other direction for me somewhere else. And so I've always had that frame of mind. And so even with the journey that I was on before, I knew that it was purposeful. And so I had to resolve the fact that my okays weren't necessarily God's okays, but it was all okay, regardless. And so I felt the same way with transplant was if it was meant to work out and if it was meant to come to fruition, it would happen. And And it did. It did. I think what's interesting is you didn't really know Jason beforehand Mm -mm. and he is a private guy and he didn't tell you that he was being tested until the very last minute. Yes. And so when he told you that he was heading to Cleveland Clinic to get tested, Yes. what'd you think? I didn't believe it, to be honest. I was kind of in shock, I think I would say. I didn't believe that. I tried to like say, no, we need to really know before we get excited and really I think this is going to happen. And so we didn't get excited right away until he'd went through all of the initial screening, I guess not the initial, the preliminary screening to know that he actually would. Because there's one thing to say that you're a candidate and then to really be a candidate, there's two different realms. And so, yeah, that was a lot. I'm sorry. No, that's good. (laughs) That's good. And so how are you and Jason feeling today? We're both good. You know, the best part about the whole thing is the quality of life. I don't know today if I have a year left or two months left. But the best part about living is that promise has never changed. The promise of my life and God's promise to me is that here's today and then tomorrow we focus on tomorrow's things. And so Jason and I have become great friends. He and his wife and Trent and I have become, my husband have become such good friends. And so it's just a bonus that God has blended and intertwined and weaved this story so amazingly. So, and you spent Thanksgiving great. with his family? We did. We <laughs> did. We had Thanksgiving together. We're going to go on vacation this summer out west. We uh, have a, a family house in Montana, so we're going to go out together to do some fishing and hiking and all the things we love to do. So, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful story, and I couldn't be more blessed that I get to be a part of it. I'm just one little little piece of the whole purpose that this story is meant to, meant to share. And so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. We're going to play a little game of Go Fish. Oh, no. So we have a fishbowl in studio. Okay. Why don't you take the lid off? Me? Yes. And I feel like Dr. Quintini should go first. Well, oh, 
<laughs> Let's see what the game is. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the game first? So there's questions for both of you. Okay. So whoever wants to go first. Okay. What do I do? Just pick so one out? Pick a question, read it to us, and then give us your best answer. And don't worry, they're not, they're not, these aren't PhD questions, so that you don't have to <laughs> I'm get just a little teacher. He's the, you know, he's the wizard over here. <laughs> What's your, I'm supposed to read it? Yep. What's your best advice for someone facing a tough health situation? My first advice would be to turn your fear into faith. And then my second piece of advice would be to trust your physicians, to find physicians who are willing to go to bat for you. I always felt like these physicians at Cleveland were willing to go to bat for this girl, this girl they didn't know. And so I would say that same thing. Find physicians who are willing to advocate for you and willing to take you on even though you drive them crazy. Yeah. And advocate for yourself. Always advocate for yourself. Yeah. If if you hear a no, make sure you understand what that no means. Why don't you pick oh. one for Dr. Quintini? Or I can, can pick one for him. Ah, you can, or, yeah, or unless he, maybe he wants yeah. to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pick one. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm so nice. <laughs> What's the best gift someone has ever given you? Oh. Well, hmm. Carol is the perfect example. You... you um, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it goes down to why I'm a doctor, why I'm thousands of uh, miles away from my hometown and my old family, and uh, which is the fact that uh, I have a passion, and the passion is to try to do my best to help people. And obviously, when when you have the chance to do so, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I think having that feeling that the patient, the family, that you care for, how are grateful to you and your team and, and your institution. And so that sense of peace is more than gratitude, is, is that sense of peace, I think is ex exceptionally rewarding for, for what we do. And if I can have other patients like Carol, I think uh, I'm happy. Yeah. Aww. That was, that was, all that was really good. That was all the feels. <laughs> Carol, do you want to pick another question? Oh, I do it twice. Yeah. Oh, and then Dr. Quintini will get one more too. Okay, so there's two, so I'm going to pick which one I like better. <laughs> oh, I like this one. If you could choose one place to go on vacation for the rest of your life, where would it be? It would be Montana. It's my, it has my heart. Uh, Montana is beautiful. There's a certain peace with Montana when you get up into the mountains, high up in the altitudes at 13, 14,000 feet where you can't go anywhere else. And you just feel like you can just about touch the face of God. And that's about as close as I could probably get in my life to, to actually being there. And so it's there that I find peace and joy and fulfillment and it softens me and it keeps my perspective. Through this battle, I've been able to go quite a few times and it's always brought me back to that place when I've gotten ahead of myself and felt like there was not hope anymore. Um, just, it, it's just a good resolve for me. So Montana. Good. Last question. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing you should do after being given a cancer diagnosis? I think it's very important to find support. The moment you're diagnosed with cancer, you're starting a journey. When you start a journey, you don't know what's going to happen, and you need somebody that is with you each and every single step of the way. One thing, unfortunately, we see is sometimes that there are very tough cases we take on, and family support, friend support is not there, and you really feel for the person you're caring for because you clearly understand that it's not what should be. So, you know, with Carl and many other patients, we are in a way lucky because it's not just the doctor or the patient fighting cancer, it's, it's the whole family and friends. And, um, and that's why 
we are on a society in the first place. That's why we have communities. That's why we're here to help each other. And I think that is even more true when it comes to a cancer diagnosis. So find somebody that can walk with you and stand by you and knowing that there will be tough times, knowing that sometimes you're going to get upset with the people that are helping you through this. And that's just a normal human reaction to fear and unknown and uh, uncertainty and just find a good partner and it's uh, as important and perhaps even more important finding I'd say a good place to go. We just have about a minute left. Hey. Dr. Quintini, do you have any final thoughts for us? Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, every time I see her, I, she looks better and better. So uh, I guess that's the <laughs> final thought. I mean, this, this is an amazing story. I'm blessed to be a part of it. It's just fantastic for us and everybody has been a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Carol, how about you? Final thoughts? Yeah. I'm just so thankful. You know, I'm thankful to God for placing these people in my life. I don't think it's without purpose. I think he works intentionally to administer what he feels is the right thing. We didn't know what to do at that time. We were scared and anxious and God just worked his miraculousness and put Dr. Quintini and Dr. Hull and Dr. Hashimoto and, and Dr. Aseho and the, the team of nurses and IRs and all, just there's so many doctors and nurses and, and staff involved. Jim, my transplant coordinator who I text every day, who is probably like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> just everybody, I'm just, that's, that's my final thought is just thank you to Cleveland Clinic and these amazing people for allowing me to continue to, to live and thrive, bottom line. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for both being here yeah. today. Thank and you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org backslash podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Mm-hmm.